Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we are joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the magnificent Sue Perkins. A pleasure. And as you can hear, we're coming live, not live, recorded from the <laughs> London Podcast Festival. It's already going well, isn't it? <laughs> we're coming to you delayed. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is the longest possible delay for swearing we can do, which yeah. is months. Yeah. Uh, it's great having, uh, having you on, so thanks, thanks for coming on this. Uh, what's really interesting, what's lovely about this, is having a chance to talk to you about comedy. Because I think one of the things that's, that's happened with your career is you're very much associated now with sort of documentary and reality and, and doing other things. But your background is 100% comedy. You were Footlights and... Yeah, just uh, always a silly wig and a plastic chicken. That was me, <laughs> that was me whether they wanted it or not, for 10 years. Um, so, uh, yeah, Mel and I started the first ever Edinburgh Festival we did. Um, Mel wrote me a, a letter, which was very formal, which said, Dear Susan... Um, and I'd known it for three years so we'd been very very good mates did you think you were in trouble um, I know I was panicked and of course there's no email no nothing you get a letter in the post dear Susan would you like to be in a double act with me love Melanie (gasps) have you still still got got it that's the first question I have still got it yeah I have still got it and I said no and um, (laughs) the rest is yeah no uh, so that's it was very very formal because I think we just felt awkward about perhaps moving a friendship into potentially a sort of business partnership that it's always first and foremost been about being chums and yeah so the first Edinburgh we did in classic Mel Sue uh, sort of tradition was sorted out very late we, uh, we didn't decide to go to Edinburgh until April most of the venues had been booked up and we ended up with a 10.05 <laughs> slot um, in the morning in the morning 10.05 no one's awake exactly and 10.05 as well which meant that <laughs> yeah. any 10 o'clock show people would go to and it was only the ones that had missed the show they really wanted to see at 10 were you after a five minute show was morph up that I don't, I, th- I don't know what, what the staggering of five minutes was down to but we hadn't actually finished writing the show so it would it sort of gently disintegrated <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sort of didn't have an ending so it ended in the end we, we just used to <laughs> we shone a, a torch on a croissant that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And again, that's a, that really sums us up, I think. Um, that's, that's a classic act structure. If you see a croissant in Act 1, <laughs> yes. a torch will be shone on it yeah, in Act 3. It was a, yeah. it was a bit much, of reincorporation. Very much presaging your later baking. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. That cake's yes. the store. <laughs> very true. We, we then went on to spend seven years shining a light on other people's croissants. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we thought about it like that. Very, very true. And we had nobody came to the first show we ever did. Uh, one person came to the second show. And because we're professionals, we carried on. Uh, and she didn't take her rucksack off, so she sat... <laughs> very, tilted forward. Very tilted at a 45-degree angle. <laughs> and so you just sort of saw the top of her head. That's someone who's not only ready to leave your venue, but ready, ready to leave the country. Yes. She, she, was, she wanted... To, she was, we were interrupting her from a major excursion. And then she, in the middle of it, she got out a small map. <laughs> which she then unfolded to a giant map. And she didn't shut it for the rest of the visit. We were just performing to it in the back of a street map of Edinburgh. Someone who's got all the escape routes covered. Yeah, it was. But I miss it. I I I loved it with all my heart. I went to Edinburgh. I go to Edinburgh every year uh, in various incarnations. But it, my heart is there because that's where I made these profoundly idiotic choices and mistakes. And you know, we'd we'd turn up with bags of props and barely rehearsed material and did appalling accents and inflicted them on theatre goers and. I, God, I loved it. I just, that feeling of freedom and experimentation never, never really leaves you. Is that what has led you to love the thing you brought today so much? The, the subject matter of people just trapped somewhere trying to entertain? Exactly that. Exactly so, that. Can you share with the class what you have brought with you today? Today, I have brought, for my money, the greatest film in any genre of all time. This is Spinal Tap. That's my Yes, I think, well, when you announced it, I think that the, the wonderful Rufus Jones said, it's the Matterhorn, and um, he's, he's right, of course. I mean, I, when you kindly asked me to come and do this, I thought, well, someone's bound to have done tap. This is a, a podcast about comedy. Everyone will have beaten the path to your door saying tap, 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 and no one had. And then the fear came upon me because there <laughs> is... mine. Yeah, because it's, it is, um, it's a perfect comedic piece, in my opinion. It, it, it's, everything about it is... Is beautiful. It bashes down a door that has been opened a lot since, which is, it does feel like, obviously there have been mockumentaries before, but it does, it defined and, and, uh, and perfected a form that has been done again since, but nowhere near as well, I would argue. There's something brilliant about it, and I was trying to think what it, what it is, and I think it's that it's really well directed. And the thing about this is Rob Reiner opens up, and the first guy you meet is the director, Marty de Berge. And I've noticed, every time you watch Spinal Tap, new things come up. I noticed today he can't cross his arms. I'd never noticed before. He keeps trying and yes. failing to yes. cross his arms, like a man who's not meant to be in front of the camera. It's subtle stuff like that. But you notice on the 26th viewing. But he's out there and he says, hey, I'm a film director. And you go, oh, this is about film. And Christopher Guest, who obviously is one of the big guys in Tap and is, is probably the, the, the heir to the, the form afterwards, has made loads of films, none of which have quite loved no. the idea of the crew and the director and the filmmaker as much as they love the characters and the, the acting. What's great about it is it's about making a film, about making a film about something you love, and, and it front and centres the form and the shape of it in a way that most improvisation is about people just enjoying performing. You won't ever find a better backstage scene than the scene where Nigel is trying to get a large... Uh, circular piece of ham on a small square piece of bread. <laughs> and there is, there is a, an incredible... There's this guy. There's this incredible joy about, about that sequence. But actually, what I love watching it again and again is exactly as you say, it's the direction of the backstage mayhem. There are people... There are extras not being extras. Yeah. You're so aware of the role of the extra in most, in most, in mm. most films. But there are, it feels... I've been in a billion dressing rooms and green rooms, and that's, they're my passion. And that's the only film where I've seen that backstage space represented faithfully There's and an keenly, authenticity you know? to it. There are not only a truth in the performances and the acting, but an authenticity in saying this is... When I, when I first saw it, I was a heavy metal fan. This was a glimpse behind the curtain of that... Um, and you want to know about it. And there are little details in it that no one else would get right unless they knew about that world, about the world of touring. These guys have been in bands. I mean, Mike McKean was in a, a band called The Left Bank, who I adore. You can't buy their records. He supported anymore. John Denver at yeah, one point. Yeah, they know this stuff. And yeah. Little Jeez, details. Wow. Like yeah. when, when Christopher Guest, as, as Nigel Tuffman, is wandering through their hotel suite, playing his electric guitar unplugged, 
Everyone I knew at school played their electric guitar unplugged because you can't plug your guitar because it's too noisy. That noise, like a cheese grater, was the sound of my teenage. And I'd never heard it on film before. But that's yeah. what being in a band sounds like. And it's the tuning up and it's the, <laughs> and it's the nervous tw- fiddlings. Uh, it's, you know, so for Nigel, it's the bends. It's the constant sort of pentatonic scale with the bends in it. Yep. Um, for, 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 you know, performers, sort of comedy performers, it's pacing and uh, running lines. Or, but there's that sort of febrile sort of weird intensity is so perfectly uh, sort of configured in that film. It's, it's, it's quite astonishing. I think how, how that's achieved is amazing because it looks like, I mean, there, there, there's a bunch of stuff. If you know improvisational films, you know improvisational comedy, and there's so much has come after this that's that borrowed from it. What this does brilliantly is, is it seems to show you a bigger world which you're seeing a tiny glimpse of, even down to the fact that the cameos are tiny. People are on for half a line. And the thing you know is that there were 50 hours or 100 hours, various accounts, of footage made, of which you're seeing a tiny slice, mm. which is exactly how a, doc- a real documentary is made. It's not been faked. And the people are crossing over each other and, and, and getting each other's way and things. And they've chosen to show you a little bit of it. And so you feel like you're glimpsing a real world. It's got an authenticity and a real, realness to it that a lot of other improvised films don't have, which seem to be about picking the best from 10 performances. Yeah, and, and as, you, as you say, that the edit, I mean, <laughs> Rob Reiner said that he, that the film was written in the edit. You know, he, yeah. They edited yeah. for nine months. Which Nine months? Nine, I think it was, they, they, so they shot for like 28, 30 days. And then imagine taking that, for, and it's just endless interviewing, interviewing as well as the set pieces. It's this thing of great beauty that's been finessed over, you know, an enormous amount of time. I'm trying to think how long, if I do a, a, a documentary, probably an hour's, worth will take five, six weeks in an edit. Nine months. Nine months. Nine but what months they've done with that, I've got, friend, I've got friends who work in documentary making, and they say, well, the things that people don't understand about documentary making is there's a lot of storytelling in it. And the thing that Spinal Tap achieves, which I don't think any other improvised film does, is it simulates by actually doing it, because we know this from pastiche, the best way of simulating something for a joke is to actually do it. If you want to do a spoof newspaper, it's as hard as a real newspaper. A spoof James Bond film is as hard to make as a real James Bond film. They've made a fake documentary in the same way as you make a real documentary, which is to shoot too much footage and then look for the story. And the story they found, they, when you see the, um, if you buy the DVD of Spinal Tap, there's an hour and a half of yeah. deleted scenes, which are even longer than the film. And the stuff they've thrown out, you go, oh, that doesn't tell the story. The story they found is an amazing story because it's not just a load of sketches about being in a band. It's the story of friends. Mm. And they found a story of, of two friends and they tell it in the way that a real documentary maker would, would tell it by dropping those scenes of friendship in in order to watch their friendship ebb and flow. And there's that brilliant bit where it shows the two of them, well, Nigel and, and, um, and David, as schoolchildren, fake photographs. In, in Squatney. In Squatney. Squatney. Perfect <laughs> name. In Squatney. And then it Great shows them. And then they sit at the cafe table and they sing all the way home. All the, the, way the home. simple song they, they've learned. And you go, oh, I love these guys. They've been friends forever. And then you watch as the film director, this is the genius thing, the film director shows what happens when a woman gets in. Damn and, these women infecting everything. And it's just exactly... Polluting the creativity of men. It's exactly what that film director would do, is he would edit to show his favourite friends having their relationship spoiled in the Linda McCartney story, the Yoko yeah, story. Yoko, yeah. He has chosen that story because that's exactly what a man who was a childhood fan of that band would do in the edit. Do you remember the first song that you guys ever wrote together? All the way home, probably. Yeah. All the way home? Yeah. Can you remember a little bit of it? I'd love to hear it. Christ. <laughs> Some black coffee, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> How's it go? Beside the railroad track. And I'm waiting for that train to bring you back. Bring me back. If she's if 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 she's not on the 519, then I'm gonna know what sorrow means, and I'm gonna cry, cry, cry all the way home, all the way home, Probably it's been like 13, 14 years since I've watched it. So watching it again recently, um, I came to it with a, a fresh perspective. But when I looked at it, it was that scene where Nigel is complaining that he can't build sandwiches from this miniature bread, basically. Yeah. Would, you, would you like bigger bread? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Tony Hedges is going, you don't have to keep folding it. But he just keeps I can't, he's got a point to make. So yeah. think but it, was, the bread. it was that scene where I went, oh, he's a little boy. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what the two of them are. They're two little boys. He's they're, innocent they're in, as well, Nigel. He's yes. a real... Oh. 
he, there's a there's a there's a sweetness and a. I mean, everyone says it's not your job to be as confused as Nigel. For me, yeah. Nigel, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can get confused, but there's a, but underneath that, there's a base simplicity actually. And it's Father Dougal, it's it's like a dog in yeah. human form. It's that thing. But you, totally watch, you watch him as Janine arrives. And it's then obviously between him and his best friend, he gets sadder and sadder <laughs> and sadder. And he's just a lost little boy. It's so delightful. And you're, but you're absolutely right about it's, it's made like a documentary. When the documentaries I've made, particularly ones that are tent-based, you would... Tent-based? Tent-based. Some of my, my earlier tent-based herbs. Um, <laughs> often you'd find that um, you start with, say, 13 people and you need, you need an inroad in as an yeah. audience member. You need, who, who is this person? And it wouldn't be something they said. It would be a look. And that yeah. look would say whether they were somebody who was jealous of somebody else's chocolate or, you know, mm. whether they were just actually a little bit lost and frightened in, the, in this sort of strange new world. And it, same with Tap. It's the, it, it's the look of Nigel when Janine comes in. And those looks are constantly then being, you know, we see more and more and more as the uh, despair increases. Brilliantly, you know. when Janine arrives... They're on stage playing a song from the early days of their band. They're playing the Thamesman song. They're playing and they're, Give yes, Me Some and they're Money. Yes, they're having fun, yeah. So they're being kids again. And they, you're aware that this tour is not going so well. They're past their best. The people aren't taking them seriously. And then suddenly they're back. They're, they're the Beatles in the, in, in the cavern. And she walks in and the band falls apart at the moment that they're, they're happy again. Yeah, And it's so exactly. well, well done. And I think one of the reasons that this film is endlessly rewatchable, and one of the things that makes a comedy film rewatchable, I think, is if a comedy film is just jokes, you can get weary of it and tired of it. And I'm a big advocate of joke, joke, joke. I love Airplane, Rope, Touch of Cloth. I love just a load of jokes in an order. But the rewatchability of that is limited sometimes. It, Whereas you, truth you need and sentiment. You need you need some you need something that, that picks it picks away at you and, yeah. and and that has it in in, in spades. There's a, there's a truthfulness. Totally. You know, I, I I first watched that film because I thought it would be a funny spoof of, of, of a heavy metal band. And that film has journeyed alongside with me. I have had similar, sometimes worse experiences on stage. <laughs> I have played Cleveland <laughs> um, in Stockport, at one of the worst gigs of, of, of our life. Mel and Sue and Puppet Show. It was, it, I've Puppet said it once, I've said it a hundred times. <laughs> we have done those gigs. We, we did, we had an Israeli puppet theatre and we had all the tap jokes. And then, you know, um, and I'll, I'll put my hands on my heart, you know, I had the Janine moment, you know, when Mel got married, it was like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you you know and you have to go through all that weird stuff even in very close platonic friendships and I I love that the Stockport gig by the way was an absolute nightmare because we were very young and we were just starting out and our mate Ed said oh I'll tour you it was 1995 I was about 12 years old nobody knew who we were and he said I've got a great gig it's late it's a late one it's a late one it's in a community hall and it's a late one it's a late one it's 10 30. what he didn't say was who we were going on after and um it was a two hour sort of support group for uh, domestic abusers and those who had been abused and no one told us and so the theme tune that we played for the start of our sketch show was Mrs Mills and if you know Mrs Mills a very jolly old lady Uh, and that and then they just finished a very the video screen was just full of horrific images and then literally the sound guy just changed from the screams of an innocent being attacked to ning 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 and in we came in our sort of day glow suits doing the silly acts awful but we did get to say hello Cleveland and why I love tap is because we have died a million times and we've always had that as glue it's like there there is that thing of knowing that god we, we, we are awful but this will be an anecdote one day in 10 20 30 years time we will find mirth in this horror there's there's a great thing where <laughs> the you... same can't be said of our audience i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> there's a thing where there's a, there's a way of making this film which is just to collect i imagine it's probably what they did collect all the great rock anecdotes you've ever heard from roadies and yeah. road crew and put them together and then make them but then what they've done with it is then make a story that is resonant beyond that and they've done that by finding that story of friendship Mm. And the, the, the reason I think that this, this film is, is, is a masterpiece and has lasted more than other mockumentary films and more than other spoof films is that you can relate to it. What stunned me is we were talking about when we first saw it. And when I first saw it, I was into heavy metal. You were introduced to it by my mate Steve, who... Who just wore Megadeth T-shirts the whole time. So yeah. it, was, it was an important thing to sort of rock fans and yeah. heavy metal fans because it was about your thing. And the lovely thing about heavy metal fans is they're a little tiny tribe who yeah. no one thinks is cool, really. So this being about your subject, is it's a train spottery thing. Oh, someone else is into train spotting. 
there's, there's a real sort of fandom thing there. But what's great is that that form of music has kind of fallen by the wayside. It's probably less relevant than it was in the 80s. And yet, it's not about heavy metal. It's about any group endeavour. It's about any creative endeavour. Which is why when you watch films like Anvil, that weirdly they seem to follow the, the story of the real heavy metal band. They follow exactly the same structure. But also if you see any films about anyone doing anything where they're on tour or doing comedy or anything, that backstage feel, that loneliness, that boredom, that mm. tedium, that trying to do something nice for an audience to a fa- in the face of indifference, that's a common experience. What I love about it is it appeals beyond heavy metal fans. It could have been oh, a joke. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I mean, I, 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 I love music and I will listen to anything. And if heavy metal comes on, I won't turn it off. I won't go to it as a matter of, you know, primary choice. But, you know, I, I will welcome anything into my ears within reason. And um, <laughs> it's... So I don't watch it for that. But the music stands up, and it has to in that film. Yeah. The music, they have to play their own stuff. It has to be good. The yeah. tunes are incredibly... Sing- you know, you... I mean, we Mel turned fifty recently, and um, I'm a lot younger than her, which is great. And so I've always really enjoyed her birthdays. And we thought um, we thought long and hard about what would be how we would show her how much we loved her, and we decided that we would play Stonehenge. Not wow. only that, and I, I play guitar badly. I'm a pianist really. I play guitar, so I thought I'm going to learn the bass. Uh, because everyone says you've got to be Derek Small. So I learned the bass. Born to it. Our friend Dylan, who played with the Blockheads, is a proper, proper, proper drummer and who used to be in the light lunch band when we were kids and we did the, the lunchtime show. He was on drums. Mel's brother, who's a great keyboardist, was, was uh, savage. And um, she didn't know we were going to do it and we did it in her garden. And the best thing was, it, and when it came to the little mandolin bit, yeah. all her mates came out dressed as druids. Round. <laughs> and her brother-in-law, who's a set designer had parked up at the back of the house and with a fishing rod oh. had a mini stone a perfect <laughs> stonehenge and we ended up playing the track three times because she just went mad we oh. were crying that's how much spinal tap means to me because it's not just a funny film it's it's this incredible glue amongst amongst all of us who love it you know and who've gone through those experiences and genuinely that was I think the best thing we could have done was to have played up quite badly, played Stonehenge. The reason you can do that, and you're saying the music, the weird thing about it, the music is both bad and good. Yes, and the lyrics t- are hilariously yeah. extraable. Yeah. But they've not made it so you wouldn't want to listen the to it. The bigger the cushion. The sweeter the cushion. But it's <laughs> Or so I have read. <laughs> Where? Where? <laughs> He's read no other books, just yeah. that one. But what's amazing about it is they've made a decision that is, that is absolutely crucial if you're going to do any kind of parody. And I think Christopher Guest has made this mistake in other films afterwards. Mm. He has decided, or the team has decided, just how bad or good Spinal Tap are. It is totally clear that they've got a following. They don't play to nobody. Yeah. They're quite good at songwriting. They're not a bad band, which makes the film so much better. But there's so many films you watch which are supposed to be parodies of things like people making a film or people making, uh, putting on a stage show where they haven't decided whether, the, whether the, the entertainment they're putting on is bad or good. It's not quite clear. Yeah. The clarity of tap, right. that they are okay. They're not a bad <laughs> band, but they're a very desperate band, aren't they? Yeah. Because they, are. they go through <laughs> endless period, moments of reinvention, which if mm. you ascribe them to, I don't know, David Bowie or someone like that, or Madonna, you go, brilliant, look at this person reinventing themselves constantly. By dint of imagination, that's not what's going on with no. tap. They're doing it out of desperation. They're going, oh, we can't be Mersey, we've got to be hippies yeah. now, and we need to be filmed through a kaleidoscope yeah. lens, and then we need to be, you know, we better go um, heavy metal, haven't we? And by two-thirds of the way through, this is Spinal Tap, they're going, it's prog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we better be... You're, you're, no, you're absolutely oh, right. And then and they're just, they're almost at the point of going, well, we could do Saucy Jack, the Jack the He's Ripper. He's a naughty one. <laughs> but the, the, joke, the joke there is that's perfect character because the idea was what mustn't happen is they mustn't get off the bus. Yeah, and it doesn't never matter get off the whether they like or don't like the music, if they're doing jazz odyssey or anything, the point is their adolescence must not be stopped. <laughs> They are the, the preserved moose line. The point is they are there to preserve those two little kids. No, they endure. The that's the thing about tap. And that's yeah. to be... I mean, I can understand that. You know, the I'm, tap abides. My, my fingers are on that ledge until someone kicks them right off. You, yeah. know, you, you, <laughs> you, you will do anything. Yeah, not... you, because it, part of it... If you're lucky enough, part of it's just staying in. You know, And I understand that sometimes people don't like what you do and sometimes they, they do. And, and it's you have to open yourself up to the ebb and flow of failure and limited success. And um, <laughs> I think that's what exactly what... Tap of Dunn's. If you said, what I love is that I did they were the originals, but then there was another band called the Originals. So they're not even original enough to give themselves another name. They just say that they're the new originals. <laughs> and it's things like it's so. 
it's so the quality of the improvising is so extraordinary and it comes from um, not, they're obviously very fine comedic minds and they they make great jokes but actually the genius of it is they're not trying to make jokes no. they have worked and been inhabiting those characters for years before those cameras roll mm. yeah. you know they have they are friends they love each other in real life there's a there's a joy about being each other's company and sometimes when I watch it god only knows I've watched that film hundreds of times I just want to see I don't want to see Nigel and David I just want to see Christopher and Michael laughing yes just mm. laughing at each other. They've got some stuff prepared. You can see they've got I Love Lucy. They've both yeah. thought of I Love, the I Love yeah. Lucy beforehand. They probably they, thought of choked on somebody else's vomit. Well, they've, yeah. they've got... Yeah. They, they, obviously, they've built a prop amp that goes up to 11. So there's some preparation. You can't dust vomit. <laughs> and can I just say, you know, on IMDb, and I only found this out recently, and I actually felt tearful, is it's the only film that IMDb scores up to 11. Perfect. Oh, oh I didn't even wow. realise. Wow. I didn't even realise it goes to eleven. I, am, I actually feel emotional about that. That's how much of this film. And, and also, what would be great is if it only got nine out of eleven. <laughs> but they, 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 they prepared it, so they kind of they've got some jokes, but yeah. the jokes aren't the important thing. The other lovely thing, which again doesn't happen in improvisation films, Tony Way, I think, pointed this out to me. The, the actor he said, if you watch an improvised film like, like a Will Ferrell, Steve Carroll kind of movie, mm. now you'll see lots of one shots of someone's head saying a line cut to the other person's yeah, head yeah. they say a line and what it is they film 12 lines and the best one's gone in and it's been assembled in the edit just like this but in tap all three of them all four of them are in shot at the same time making each other laugh and that doesn't happen in film enough it certainly doesn't happen in comedy films no. and the joy of a comedy film is seeing people interact and, and I think didn't, they didn't... don't know about shit sandwich I think Ryan has put that in because you can see you can see that Christopher gets just well you know he just he's, he's laughing so I think I think shit sandwich has come in as a, as a I'm just going to chuck that into the mix that comes, that comes straight after treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality doesn't it <laughs> which is a fantastic line what's great is he's got a piece of paper there. I, the, the number the last time I watched it the thing I spotted was the number of really sharp edits there are at the end of a line which A get you out of the, the gag yes. quickly as an audience member but also are probably just before they crack up yes they're cutting just at the moment someone was about to crack didn't he try to use take one as much as possible really he was putting yes. the thing together yeah. I read that somewhere because so there is a real freshness to it yeah. because even even when you I love improvising I love playing but once you hit a good a, you get a good line it's and you know this from, from, from writing you don't want to kill your babies yeah. you will repeat that good joke even if you're on the 10th or 12th take of that mm. and it's not improvising anymore yes. you're all you're self-editing you're cherry-picking and that it's dead and I think you're absolutely right I think he's caught where he can the first takes so there is that that joy and that slight fear as well about who's going to say what and you can almost watch them in that scene where they're getting the, they're talking about their reviews as you would in a real group who's going to chip in next yeah. who's go- oh, oh you said that yeah. I'm going to sit back a bit and they're prepped they, they know themselves and, and, and they, they're aware of, of who's going to say what and who's, what the characters are so they can feel their way around each other but what you're feeling as well there with, with them going for the first take and the freshness is this is a new idea that Rob Reiner and these guys have gone, what if we, which is the, the story behind it is they, they were trying to get the money together for, to, to pay for a script or someone offered the money for a script and they went, we can't, we can't do that. That's not what we're going to do. And they spent the script money on a 20-minute taster tape, which is, I think it's Stonehenge they made as the taster tape. 20 minutes of, of oh. that that said, proof of concept, this is it. But if you want to see a script, which is how you raise the money for a film, mm. we can't show you that. And there's a feeling going, oh, this is brand new, mm. really exciting. And I don't think there's, again, there's any other uh, film that, that uh, captures that. And in terms of comedy, the reason this is a comedian's favourite film is how often do you see someone trying something brand new? Yeah. Buster Keaton? I mean, who, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what I love about the structure, as you say, it's, it's totally about, uh, it's about a film about love. It's a film about how love endures in difficult situations. Mm. And that, that is platonic love, but non- nonetheless extremely intense. But within that, that each song is a set piece where something ridiculous happens. And so they almost have a <laughs> sketch element of you could take yes. them out and just watch them without any of the wraparound and just think that is hilarious. Whether it's, you know, Derek being stuck in that weird pod and the guy with Dr. Settling Lamp. That, 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 that's that's amazing. That is a masterclass. That, that rem- I, thought, I looked at that again and thought, this is Lauren and Hardy. It's like you <laughs> trap Harry Shearer in a giant chrysalid and then go, how many gags can we get out of this? <laughs> We're going to try five forever. ways of getting him out. First of all, you've got to realise he's trapped you've got to wait for the penny to drop then you've got to watch someone trying to get him out and then the banging gets so loud that it's putting the musicians off what they're doing (laughs) then there's a flamethrower then he gets out at the moment at which the other two get back into their pods and then it eats him like a thing that's that's for me that's when he gets back in and it just yes and the arm out doing the heavy metal thing which apparently he borrowed from the guy from Saxon who used to play his bass with one hand and do the devil horns with the other, which is brilliant because it's really heavy metal, but also reveals that your bass lines are not very complicated. No, well, I, I can <laughs> attest to that. Yeah. I can learn it. I can, they're not that complicated. But the fact he's playing it in the chrysalid, he's playing almost upright, but still the commitment is incredible. But every single one, whether it's, I can't remember which, which maybe it's Hellhole, I can't remember, but you've got Tufnell just leaning backwards and then not being able to get up. And then you've got him being spun. And they could, they, they could have stopped that. Way yeah. before, but why when it's so good and instead of just picking him up he spins him like a crab and it's back <laughs> around and, and then you know you obviously got Stonehenge or something. it's just it's, there, there they're wonderful things, there are stupid things that happen in, uh, to people in bands when they think it looks cool I mean, the first thing I did when I first was in a band was I thought you know what's cool dark glasses do you know what's not cool? Falling off stage. Oh, because I imagine Lou Reed has a man who goes, edge of the stage, every so often. But you'd fall off. So all these things that you see is... I remember watching uh, bands as a kid and thinking that all the other movements, apart from the, the actual playing, was the cool bit. Like wanging your whammy bar and throwing your hand around, jumping off the stacks. And when you're a kid, you think that's how you play a guitar. And I think Spiral Tap, the joy of it is that I think they still think that's the best bit about being... That the, mm, yeah. the musicianship is... Because they're 10. They're 10-year-old yeah. boys. Yeah, it's watching children. But and actually, what, one of the things that's really nice as well is these guys can play instruments. And oh. when you watch, you know that when the music's playing, their fingers are in pretty much the right place. Oh, totally. And there's a joy, you know, you can't teach people to love playing music. You can teach them to, you know, be taught where their finger should be on a fretboard or on yeah. a keyboard. But there's a, when they're playing, it's just, they are a proper band. They're tight. They look at each other. It's all those things yeah. that a cheater yeah. wouldn't necessarily tell you to do. It's, you know, although Derek never looks at the drummer. So Derek, 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 Derek sort of, it's sort of part it's of the rhythm he knows section, he's going to kill him in a minute. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, They've got a string of dead drummers behind yeah. them. There's that brilliant bit at the end where the pyro goes off behind them and you realise yeah. it's the drummer and then they cheer and the Japanese kids cheer yeah, yeah. You know, they've been the waiting for that bit that's the but they're also the, ne- the, the, the detail you know going into the names of what, Ronnie Pudding yeah. it's now, Ronnie Pudding Ron, Ronnie Pudding of course and I brought this along as a fact because otherwise there's no point doing this Ronnie Pudding was played by Danny Korchmar Danny Korchmar was a session guitarist who worked with Lyndon Ronstadt and Harry Nielsen and James Taylor was Carol King's guitarist oh you've known me right produced off. The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Really? That's how musical this film is. I spent hours looking up Danny Korchmar today because I wondered innocently who was Ronnie Pudding. 
But that's the kind of prep we do for these podcasts. That's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of gem I can bring you. But isn't that great, <laughs> the fact that, they've, that it's populated by great, real, great proper, brilliant, brilliant musicians? It, well, it gives it, again, it gives you that feeling of these people, they love this. It's not, again, it's not done with contempt. No. They're not outsiders, no, they are no. inside this world. No, it's not cynical, is it? Which it very easily could be. It reminded me, when I was watching it, a, a few years ago, I was on tour with a band, and there's a lot of hanging around and travelling and not doing the thing that you're Computer there for. magic. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and, and I thought, I, I want to watch something, and I said to someone, is there a really good documentary about being on tour with a band? And someone said, yeah, there's a documentary called something like So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star about the Kurzel Flyers. Pub rock It's band. a 1976 BBC documentary, so I found it from somewhere and sat and watched it in my hotel room. And it was just a load of people sitting around, um, not really being on stage and being bored. And I mean, I'm just watching what I'm doing. Why am I watching this? <laughs> this is a bizarrely recursive process yeah. I seem to have engaged in here. But, it's but, I, but it reminded me a lot of that. I think they must have seen Say You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star before they made This Is uh, Spinal Tap. Well, they watched it, a lot of it. They watched it, the last it's waltz got a lot. lot of, yes, it's got yeah. a lot of that in common, that kind of... If you've seen Meeting People is Easy, Radiohead's oh, one. It's just really? lots oh. of just very bleak movement from place to place. There's lots of travel but I, I, and staring. And there is, and, but of course, that would just be deeply tedious. Watching people being bored is boring, yeah. you know. But, but the thing with, with tap is there's every single frame has a subtext. And I particularly love the backstage, in the hotel stuff. There's always, yeah. there's Cindy, obviously, Cindy's first moustache. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> special um, friend. Yeah. So Cindy's so always special around. new friend. <laughs> yes, my special, special new, new friend. friend. <laughs> but it's very innocent. It's yeah. not, it's not sex and drugs. There's rock and roll, but actually they're like, as you say, they're little boys. Well, you don't lovely... get a sense that they're sexually virile. They've got, you know, foil wrapped zucchini round yeah. down their trousers. <laughs> armadillos down their trousers, they're but they're not real armadillos, yeah. are they? They're, they're fake armadillos. There's a brilliant bit where they, they're at the, the, the Polymer Records party with Bobby Flagman. Uh, you know, you know. Dennis Eaton Hogg. And they've all got cold sores. Can we just dwell on that name for a moment? Dennis Eaton Hogg. So Dennis Eaton Hogg. <laughs> Perfect. But they've all got matching cold sores. Yes. And there was a big cut, which was they'd all caught them off the lead singer of the support band, who they'd all That was had. in the additional materials, and there's a yeah. lot more about and that. And what's yeah. lovely is by removing that, A, you get an extra joke, which at third viewing you go, they've all got cold sores. Yeah. And also, it means that they're not being beastly. They're not just, they can remain as children. It, it, it keeps the innocence up. And your first thing when you probably do a first pass on the script is, we need lots of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Mm. And there's almost none. Well, because lots Nig of rock and roll. Nigel's only love really is, is Dave, David St. Hubbins. Yeah. And his guitar collection. <laughs> don't, don't touch it. But, um, don't even look at it. <laughs> don't even look at it. <laughs> do you play all, I mean, do you actually play all these or... I play them and I cherish them. Mm -hmm. This is the top of the heap right here. There's no question about it. Look at the look at the flame on that one. It's perfect. 1959. Uh, you know, it just you can uh, listen. How much is just, this? Just listen for a minute. I'm the not, sustain. Listen to it. I'm not hearing anything. You would though if it were playing because yeah. it really it's famous for its sustain. I mean, you can yeah. just hold it. Well, I mean, so you'd have to. Ah, you can go go and have a bite. No. You'll still be hearing that one. Yeah. Can you hold this to say? Be sure. And I love, oh, the, the, the solo with, it's a great moment. It's just a lovely little set piece where Nigel's got, um, he's playing the guitar, then he's, he's kicking the, oh, getting, yeah. you know, the guitar, and then gets a violin and scrapes <laughs> it, and then just stops to just slightly tune it, and then goes back. <laughs> it's, just, it's just wonderful. It's a, it's a bit of a departure from the kind of thing you normally play. It's a horn part. It's very pretty. Yeah, just simple lines intertwining. What do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. Again, it's in the editing structure. You know this tour is going badly. It starts off going badly and gets poetically worse. You can see that they've built this beautiful structure where it starts, the venues are quite good, little things go wrong, Ian Faith can't get them, X, Y, Z, and then by the end it's, it's puppet show and spinal tap and jazz odyssey, and they're playing to nobody. The, the, the gigs are arranged in such a beautiful order that when they do, I only noticed it this time around, when there's the, the, the Trox tape thing where they're, they're swearing at each other trying to record, yeah. for the first time ever I went, what are they recording? And I thought, oh, the bad version of this film just has every band joke you can do, including a recording session. This has a iron cast plotline of mm. the two are going wrong, in which they put a really nice gig uh, recording scene, but they're not, they shouldn't be recording anything at that point. It's almost the only bit I went, oh, 
This could have just been a load of sketches. But they've done something beautiful with a story of failure and decline and moving from, from being relevant to irrelevant. And that lovely moment at the end where all you want to do is for them to come back together again. I noticed this time around, Nigel leaves 15 minutes before the end. That's the third act. Mm. It's 15 minutes long. It's so short. You lose Nigel and you go, oh, it's not the same without Nigel. And he comes back and you punch the air that he's back. And they found that story. Slow decline, lose the, the, the brothers of breaking up and then find them again. It's just it's peerlessly good writing, mm. but made in the edit. If you'd be interested in reforming and uh, doing a tour in Japan. So you've come back to uh, replug our life support systems in. Is that it by the grace of your, of your uh, by the stroke of your hand, you're going to set, is that what you're going to do? You're going to bring us back to life? Is that what you've come here for? No, I've come. I mean, it's, I don't, you fucking nerve that you display no, and come. No. That's just passing on the information, really. He, you look at Nigel on the side of the stage and he's asking for permission to come back on. Yeah, because th yeah. that, that's the thing about Can that I come love story. Yeah, that is the thing. It's, he, Nigel reveres David. It, they, they love each other, but for Nigel, it, it, David is everything. And he's just, he, he's almost sort of bouncing up and down. He's obviously, you know, he's lip syncing along to those ridiculous lyrics. And um, it's, it, you know, almost a sort of cursory sort of nod of the head from David. And then on he bounds like a Labrador and just, you know, all this sort of tongue going. And the, you know. At the beginning, they do that lovely thing, which is in all rock metrics, which is as you introduce people, the, the captions come up. And there's a brilliant, everyone, the, the Artie Fufkin caption is the oh, best, best time that's, caption. That's, 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 that's one of the best visual jokes I've ever seen. Yeah. We've Fufkin. all seen it, but I'm going to describe it anyway, because what the hell. Artie Fufkin from Palmer Records <laughs> arrives and introduces himself. Hi, Artie Fufkin, Palmer Records. Artie Fufkin, Palmer Records. Hi, Artie Fufkin, Palmer Records. Artie Fufkin, Palmer Records. After about eight of these, the <laughs> caption comes up saying, Artie Fufkin, <laughs> Palmer Records. <laughs> <laughs> they use those, it's and I, I noticed the first time this time around, at the beginning, when they're introduced, and clearly the way to introduce them is David St. Hubbins, lead singer, Nigel Tufnell, lead guitar. It goes, Davidson Hubbins, lead guitar. Nigel Tufnell, lead guitar. <laughs> they have the same job. <laughs> they fought about I how to be credited. That. And the thing is, they're totally equal. Yeah. I, I think the relationship between a singer and a guitarist is different than a, than a relationship, which is basically, it's, it's Francis Rossi and Rick Parfit. It's when they're saying they're, the supposed end, to be. they're both lead guitar. They fight over it. But like, they, they, he's brothers. going through the set list, you know, Nigel wrote that. And then Derek Smalls goes, well, that's, that's a, we've got a tight 10 minutes. You know, without, <laughs> got, they are nothing without one another. Because yeah. I bet you if, Nig if David had left and Nigel was putting together a set list, he also would only have 10 minutes. Yeah. It's just that they, they, are, they, are, they have to be together in order to have any sort of degree of success and, and, uh, and joy in their lives. Oh, I love Artie Fufkin. I, also, Bobby Fleckman. I mean, oh, that scene. I mean, when the, my, one of my favourite, favourite, favourite moments. And it's, it's, it's just a look by by Ian Faith, by Tony Hendra, which is money talks bullshit. Why? <laughs> he just that looks amazing. Like, he's just, isn't he's it? just like he, it's it's and it is that classic doer Brit versus sort of effusive American. There's an amazing in a, there's an amazing dynamic in it, and the core of it is Tony Hendra. And Tony Hendra is a fascinating character because he was. I found this out researching for this. Tony Hendra is the missing link between uh, British 60s satire mm. and the American thing, because he went over to America to, to work on National Lampoon. He did the National Lampoon radio show that turned into the thing that turned into Saturday Night Live. They poached the cast. It's all Belushi and, uh, and Aykroyd and everyone. Basically, he was the, the Brit who went abroad, but he was at Cambridge with the Pythons, yeah. and he claims that John Cleese asked him to join Monty Python. Said, sent him an email, I sent him a, not an email, a letter and said, please, please is so ahead of I think his claim is looking shaky yeah. already, isn't but it? Fake news. Said, said, I said, I'm putting this thing together, do you want to join anyway? I would have been no use anyway. But they were, they were mates and they were, they were yeah. friends, he was friends with Chapman. He's gone over there, a, he, he was one of the original producers on Spitting Image. And, uh, and Peter Fluck, who did Spitting Image, said, Tony Hendra moved to America from fear that Britain, being a small island, might one day run out of alcohol. Uh, and he's got the sense of he's come over there and he's dropped into this world of Americans, including Christopher Guest, who grew up in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and who's now a, a lord. He's a lord. Lord Hayden Guest. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a hereditary position. He, he, I don't think he can sit in the House of Lords anymore because they've changed the rules. But he's, he's, a, he's an Anglophile. They're all Anglophiles. And this whole film is this beautiful love letter to the British accent. Because they're all doing brilliant British accents. Some of them, and, and God, is it a June Chadwick who plays Janine? That voice, oh. that flat voice. Janine is incredible. They love She's her because she just can't not be funny. And can I be, actually, I was, I was, I watched it again obviously recently, but 
I'm surprised she didn't get a writing credit because yeah. she too is involved in the improvisation. She and Janine yeah. is an they, extraordinary. They asked character. apparently. They asked. They said they wanted. They got a four-way writing credit. They asked for a writing credit to be given to the entire cast yeah. and the Screenwriters Guild said that's impossible to do. Yeah. But they, they, apparently they, they did. No, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, because they're very, you know, you can't be a brilliant improviser like, like they are without, without, without wanting to include everyone. That's interesting. They've got the Screenwriters Guild. How, well, there, 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 are, there are rules. But I think the, the, the love affair about with Britishness, with the flatness, with the, the quality that voice mm. gives. And it's very odd as a British person watching it going, I bet this sounds amazing if you're not British. I mean, mm. it sounds pretty good if you're British. But it probably sounds like the equivalent of what we do in The Shadows, the delight there is in the New Zealand accent in that. This is an accent movie and everyone's really enjoying Those accents are, they are really peerless. But I, I, Hen, Tony Hendra's a really interesting character. Uh, sorry, Ian Faith's uh, character. Tony Hendra's Ian Faith is an interesting character. Um, because he's furious. Um, and <laughs> yeah. actually, there's a sort of... Yeah, Davison Hubbins gets riled occasionally. Janine gives a little bit of spice to the, to the mix. Ian Faith is furious all the time and he hasn't got a good word to say about anybody. He's actually, vi Sir Dennis is on the phone and he has a pop at him. He'll have a pop at the, you know, the bands they come across. He's just angry and those cutaway scenes are mm. really, when he's just taking a cricket bat to anything. Well, he's and it's, it's he's the manager who's being rock and roll and the rock and rollers who are being biddable. <laughs> one, one of the things that's about, he's obviously enormously charismatic and likeable, but you don't really like him as much as you like the tap. He's the grown up, he's the dad, he's the, sort of the patriarch patriarchal force through it and you go you're not very happy no do you know where it's nice in little kiddie world with the with the band and it's it's this yeah. lovely thing about innocence and naivety and not losing that he had oh it's just occurred to me he's lost his faith he's someone who's not got faith in rock and roll like they've got it's a good bit of naming he's the he's supposed to be the guy who believes in the band and he's the one who sort of doesn't he strides around as he says good and you know to this business to have a good solid bit of wood in your hand whatever it says, <laughs> you know but he's he he wants to He's furious and he wants to hurt people, you know, because he's the one, as you say, at the sharp end of all the responsibility when, when things... But he also... One of the great lines in the film is when he said, you know, Boston's council, it's not a big college town. And he yeah. just throws... You're a liar. It's just thrown... So many great lines are just thrown away. That great line when the guy goes, oh, we've got to go, we've got to sit in the lobby and wait for the limo. It's just... It, imagine somebody saying, I can't talk to you because I've got to go just over here yeah. and do nothing. Because <laughs> that's the relationship we have yeah. with our great yeah. touring mates. I, I'm going to just wait for something else in plain sight <laughs> and tell you about it. That, as you say, that great opening by, by, by Rob Reiner, who's setting out his stall, he's yeah. saying, not only will this be impeccably directed, it's going to have an incredibly authentic feel, but yeah, I'm also, I've got a camera behind me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got all got the, the trappings. Baseball cap. Yeah. The cap is fine. But the 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 the, the and most punctual. He's yeah. great. Most punct <laughs> the most punctual band. The idea that it's, it's a really good. I mean, it sets him up as a character. It sets him up as a naive fan because he hasn't noticed these things aren't good. They're not the best things you can say about the band. But he's an unquestioning fan. He talks about falling in love with them. Oh, you're being judged in this as well because the band aren't that great, and you're so in love with them. You're aware that you've got an unreliable narrator. Someone who mm. will forgive them everything, because he's he's damning them with faint praise immediately. So it's immediately funny, but also that's part of the judging and letting the audience know how good are this band. And you go, well, this idiot likes them, but he's a bit of an idiot. Look at his stupid hat. He can't fold his arms. You've got this feeling of, of that's again. It's holding the audience's hand and saying this is exactly how good or bad this band are going to be. And when you see this film has been made again and again and again. If you watch BBC Four, this film is on almost every week in the form of any documentary about any band. And they all fit over this form. They're all on rails. They're made by fans. They're not questioning enough. They're too in love. And one of the reasons I think this film works totally is you recognise it straight away. Whether you've seen it, unlike a lot of other mockumentaries which are about things. I haven't seen a documentary about a dog show. And I like Best in Show. Mm. But I don't know whether that's just what a dog show documentaries are like. But I really know this is what the story of a band is always like when it's told by an unquestioning fan, which it won't be quite well, I think questioning enough. I love Best in Show, but I think you're watching fabulous actors play hilarious characters. Yes. With Spinal Tap, you, they, they, are, they, they, yeah. they are those people. They have lived that life. They it's a have those difference, isn't it, between, yeah. between them. And I, I, I love that. I think Mighty Wind is an absolutely adorable film. I think it's brilliant. And it's telling that... that uh, is it for your consideration that he did? Yeah. 
I watched that and went, oh God, this has got everything that Spinal Tap gets right, it gets wrong. You're not sure whether the film's any good or not. And it's simple mistakes like that. You, that this is so beautifully tagged and signposted and generous to its audience. It says, pick up the clues, follow this through. We're going to put the breadcrumbs through so you know what's going on. It's about these two friends. It makes everything so clear. And the problem with an improvised movie is it can be a rambling shambles. And this is tight. It's one, minute, one hour, 23 minutes long. Yeah, no, it's nothing. It's Not a wasted gag. Has any, I'm going to ask a question. Has everybody in this room seen Spinal Tap? Hands up who hasn't seen it. Wow. Well, A, none of what we've said will make any sense. <laughs> I, I did sort of wonder at the beginning which we should sort of crazy, crazy <laughs> what, 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 what it was about. But I, I, I can't commend it. Enough. I really, I can't sort of recommend it enough. It's, it, it, is extra, it is extraordinary. And you'll, it's so brief, but it's so momentous. And I've probably seen it... I mean, over 50 times, I'd say. Yeah. We watched it. I mean, I've, as I say, it's accompanied me throughout the various sort of permutations of life. But we actually went on tour with a band for a while. And it was the only video we had in the tour bus. Because <laughs> wow. there was just... And Denny, this amazing guitarist who toured us, would just noodle about and sort of come up with things that he thought the Thamesman might have come up with. Or, you know, <laughs> it would be a sort of starting point for some sort of improvisation. People might say, oh, you know, the, the, some of those set pieces, whether it's Stonehenge, whether it's, you know, the, the Christmas, don't, don't happen. They really, they do. They happen all the time and they happen, as I know, in tiny art spaces. For example, once we were in Edinburgh, again, Mel and I laughed for about three months about this and quoted Tap a lot. We did, in Edinburgh, you have an hour slot. You, you have your, you do your show and someone is always coming in after you with a very intense sort of post-feminist interpretation of Equus or something, <laughs> something amazing is happening or some theatre, some Plate juggling. Spinning. Yeah, this is something. And um, we shared a space with about seven or eight other sort of troops and there was always a bucket backstage. There was always a, a, a and Mel's bladder isn't good. It, it gives way <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and um, we, she said, I've got to go for a wee and I said, there's no time. We'd had clearance, which is the, sort of byword for get, get your shit together, it's time to go on. And uh, she actually weed in the bucket. And um, you always in Edinburgh promise to see everyone's shows. Everyone you love is doing a show and you have to go and see all the shows. And our friend was doing the show after ours. So we said, well, we've done our gig, we'll stay on. And um, she was doing a show, a lot about her Catholic upbringing. And in the middle of it, she became a nu- this sort of furious nun who went backstage and got a bucket. <laughs> and... <laughs> a large paintbrush and doused everyone <laughs> with Mel's piss. And um, it just, we've got billions of stories. They all feel like something that could have been in Spinal Tap because when you have props and egos and time pressures and money pressure, things like that are routine. They, they just are. There's they an are. astonishing story. I think, I'm gonna get, it might be the wrong bit of the film, but there's one of the live set pieces. I think it might be Stonehenge with the wrong size prop. Happens to Black Sabbath, and there was a lot of conversation saying, "Oh, did Spinal Tap borrow the idea?" Yeah. I think in, in Spinal Tap, it's uh, uh, Nigel does the, the dimensions for the Stonehenge prop and writes eighteen inches when he means eighteen feet, and the prop's too small. Sp- uh, Black Sabbath did the wrong, the other way round, and, and wrote eighteen meters when they meant eighteen foot, and it wouldn't fit in the van. Uh, and apparently, that happened after Spinal Tap, and, a- and literally six months afterwards. So everyone went, "Oh, it was just these things happen because." of the nature of doing this, the naivety you have to have to do it, that people will, will get caught up about, in these daft um, anecdotes. David Niven, who, there was a, uh, an issue with the dimensions of his swimming pool, and as a result, he still, that property still has the deepest swimming pool. It's something like 40 metres deep, right? <laughs> something like that. I, you'll have to look it up, but it's literally, he, the, he got the depth measurement wrong. And it's just basically... Like a well. Yeah, it, it's basically a well. Um, and Niven's Hollywood well. I saw them at the Bullen Gate. They were so, great. It, 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 there's, all, there's always a sort of flavour of reality. What I like about Tap as well is it... it again, it, because it doesn't go too much... The sex is, is innocent and silly. And there's, there's no drugs. Yeah. There's no... No, no. I think all, there, there's a sniffing no. thing, and I thought, is that snuff? I, it's so innocent. My brain didn't Just, but think we're it was not with Artie when Smalls is discharging but, his sinuses. There's that a little bit disgusting, of... That's disgusting. There's, there's a little bit, and I thought... Is he's that, not even oh. blowing into the thing. He's going... Uh. And then trying to catch it. <laughs> and then trying to... It's horrible. Derek you, Smalls has a pipe in the first interview segment, yeah. doesn't he? I think he's yes. smoking a pipe. He's he thinking. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> but what you forget as well is that the use of the, the, the cast, you've got, you've got the, the core guys and things, 
And you forget, I, I remember Derek Smalls being a massive part of TAP. He's, He's not in it is. a lot. No. You've got Harry Shearer and you are letting him, because you filmed 50 hours of it, have tiny slices of detail. But through those slices is written the reality of that character and the, and the, the life of him. So that you, I don't know, when Archie Harm bustles in for half a line, you know the guy's backstory. Which is, again, how a documentary works. A mm-hmm. documentary glimpses people's real lives and you're peeping through a window and you know that person's going to bustle on and go somewhere else after this. And the thing about TAP, even though it's a series of bravura, over-the-top performances, is for some reason, I think those mimes are still doing parties around Hollywood. I yeah, think, Billy I think Crystal has, what, two Billy sentences? Crystal, yeah. Billy Crystal, mime is money, and that's kind of, you know... That's Bruno Kirby's still driving that cab around. Everyone they're Fred using... Fred Willard. Fred Willard. Oh. I could watch Fred Willard do anything forever. Me too. I think he is... <laughs> just wonderful. Utter genius. He plays the, the, the guy at the airbase who does the... Uh, you ever see your four jacks and a gel? Uh, just the most astonishing, the he wrong d- guy. He does, he does kind of full mica sort of conviviality so brilliantly, doesn't he? But I've had gigs where, because in that he, he, he says, let's just uh, we'll start at 1700 and, uh, and then uh, Derek goes, well that's in what, what 50 hours? And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and he says, yeah, but we just sort of get it over and done with. And I've yeah. had so many times we've turned up and it's been <laughs> casual brutality of just like... We're, we're big fans of you, not you per se but the whole rock the and roll. Genre, it's yeah, the genre, yeah. the most perfectly insulting thing to it, say. It's, it's, it's just the, this... Actually, that helps you. You can't help but feel for them. And obviously, the point is, there's an easy version of this film where they're pricks, and they're sexist pricks, and they're boorish pricks, and you do them smashing hotel rooms, and you lose all sympathy for them. And that's a very funny... That would be a very funny film, a kind of jackassy film mm. about some pricks. And, but it, it's, every time people are mean to them, you want to cuddle... Mm. And, and, it's, they're and the whole they're, they're not they're not pricks and they're not pricks they're always trying to learn like the whole the <laughs> idea that the you know the original you know uh, cover for smell the glove the album is is um it, it, so dennis eaton hogg will not countenance yeah. it because as bobby says you're putting a greased naked woman in a dog collar on all fours on all fours <laughs> with a leash and nigel doesn't get this and thinks we well, you know what's wrong with being sexy and they have to explain that sexist is not the same as sexy but again it's and when they learn, for example, that the rival band have got uh, an album cover where the man is sort of naked and chained, they go, oh, I understand. I understand now that actually if the singer is the supposed sort of yeah. victim or is, is a lower power status, <laughs> so, but there's no anger about that. No. They just, they, ah. they've learned something. But that, and I that, like that. That gentleness and warmth. I think the other thing about it, which is really startling, is that it dates really well. I think a version of it that was a bit more edgy about the band would have dated about it. There's one or two moments. I think Ian Faith bashing the, the, the cricket back into his hand. But then Janine going, oh, that's, that's dated a little bit badly. Like, sort of, he, it looks like he's in a clouter for, for being an uppity woman. But what's amazing, this film's a fair age now, and it's about sexists, and it's about male uh, power fantasies and things like that. And weirdly, it feels so beautifully innocent. It means you can watch it totally safely. Because they're, they're vulnerable, actually. They're yeah. not predators. And that's why that film has lasted. The, the security guard's face, when she, when she uncovers Derek Small's uh, yeah. tinfoil wrapped cucumber <laughs> down, his, down his spandex trousers, yeah. she rolls her eyes. She's Here in, goes another one. Yeah. And it's just the idea of these little boys. And I think the lovely thing about it is it's about something which could have been, again, vicious or crude. The Temptation to Do Crudity. Weirdly, it's a very innocent film. I, th- I watched it, I remember watching it, my mum coming in during the one really sweary scene with Ian and Janine, and her rolling her eyes and going, oh, it's the one of those sort of films, and they wanted to grab her and go, it's not, it's just lovely. See, but- I love the bit where Davison Hubbards and Janine are in the tour bus and, and Fifth Savage is playing some terrible sort of, uh, you know, 1984 computer game, and he's wearing... Uh, she's made him a jumper with some horrific sort of sort of planetary sort of arrangement on there, and um, it's such a sweet moment because he's just—it's like he's with his mummy's going, "Can I not wear that in front of the boys? I don't want to wear," you know. And it's just a, a little snapshot of their relationship where you know he adores her, but and, and he's always supporting her. He's always getting out her drawings. You know, Janine's done a version of outfits where, "Hey, you're dressed as a goat, Nigel," and, you know. <laughs> But he's a supportive. They're not Actually, animals. They're zodiacal signs. Yeah. It's, it's that. He's yeah. a supportive boyfriend, and she is a strong woman, and that's why that film, the core of that film, hasn't yeah. dated. Yeah, it's nice actually because she again, she's she's she behaves like a mum. Ian Faith, it's mum and dad are fighting. Is why that scene with the, with them swearing at each other is so distressing. That the mum energy and the dad energy clash up, and the little mm. boys are, are sort of lost in the fight. Like and a Nigel, the, pe- the petulant sort of uh, child that is just. There's a seat, that scene in the airport where they're waiting for their flight, and 
there's just a, a gap in the seat. He's moved one seat away. Yeah. And he's wearing a ludicrous Stetson, you know, because they're off to wherever, you know. And he's, he, yeah, he's got, he's got the Zodiac. She's done the full Zodiac, hasn't she? The, um, the astrological predictions for the gig. And, you know, he's got it, but he doesn't want to read it. But also, the truth of touring is it's, it's, it's lonely. There's, there are moments where it feels unspeakably glamorous, but those moments you can replicate at home. Like, when I'm touring and I feel most alive is when I realise, as a grown-up, I can eat all of the minibar. <laughs> And um, that, that doesn't, that's not necessarily about being on tour. That's just about you get a, you get a sense of personal freedom. Mm. And sometimes that sense is, is, is more augmented when you're on the road, maybe. I don't know. But it's also lonely. And, you, and it captures that. Like when, when Janine says she's going to meet him on one of the tour gigs, he, and Nigel's deflated, he jumps on his back like a child. And yep. he's sort of, because he can't wait to see his girlfriend. And it's yeah. just cute. And I'm like that. You yeah. know, I, I, I'm... The joy of seeing somebody you love when you are, I don't know, some, somewhere somewhere on the road and you... you You're in an unreal you know. space and suddenly something real is there. Something that, yeah. It's, 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 there's something magical about this film in that it's lasted. I mean, it's now been voted like the greatest comedy film of all time in, in Polsner. It didn't get very well reviewed at the time. It sort of survived on video. Like a lot of these films, a lot of cult films, mm. With Man and I or Big Lebowski or this... The, and it's endlessly rewatchable because I think there's something just good at its heart that makes you feel nice about being a human being who wants to make stuff. Yeah, and I think it's, it's about um, staying in the game. You know, they stay in it long enough for the Japanese to suddenly become hugely interested in their back catalogue and then it ends, obviously, with them playing... Uh, uh, I should have said spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. But, you know, uh, and so it has a real destination. You sex Farm know. gets into the top five. Se- sex Farms, yeah. And Always then happy goes, ending Sex Farm. Is it our version? <laughs> I've forgotten how good that line was. Is it our version? As if, as, as if <laughs> Someone would cover Sex Farm. <laughs> sex Farm belongs to Spinal Tap. It's, <laughs> it's, I think it's Derek who says that. And it's... Uh, because Derek's got that huge handlebar moustache. So much of what he says is just slightly lost and muffled. But it's those beautiful eyes, which, um, which you... Uh, there's a oh, lovely the shot segment. of him. Yeah. yeah. Is it when... The flower people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love you. And he's all these dewy eyes. Listen, it's getting louder every day. Of course, the, the, the sort of aftershock of this film was they just—they didn't really get royalties. They didn't, yeah. you know. And so it's—I think now, in the wake of various lawsuits about which I know very little, but I know they rumble on. You know, it's, nearly it's not 400 available. Four hundred million. Yeah. They're, they're suing for yeah, nearly four hundred million. Four hundred million because uh, uh, various legal reasons. But again, one of those things which is clearly a perfect artifact made by these creators mm. about a bunch of creators who aren't treated very well, and it actually came true. So again, the truth is through it like rock. Yeah, um, uh, not not the, the the musical genre rock, the 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 seaside substance rock. But the, the the amount of sort of I can't remember they call it. It's something like collateral accountancy or something horrific. There's a term for it where you keep hiding know, profits. Yes, that's an interesting thing about Spinal Tap as well. As a kid watching it, and I love this about comedies. Very often comedy would give you a glimpse into an adult world, and they'd sort of wink and go, "This is how it's going to work, kids." Hmm. And there's that, that lovely, it's, a lot of it's in Ian Faith, that cynicism about, you think rock and roll's like this. It's actually about accounting and territories and Artie Fufkin and Polymer Records and kissing ass at parties. And it did feel like a little glimpse into, I know what listening to music feels like. I know what playing the guitar feels like. Ooh, the grown-ups are going to give me a little hint of what it's like to be in this world. And, it's, and that, again, felt authentic. And I think we're talking about it now going, this is, sounds like dialogue from Spinal Tap. They never made any money and there was some creative yeah. accounting. This is pure Spinal Tap. It's interesting as well, those parties where Polymer Records throw, you know, this, this sort of, with these horrific sort of canapes and lots of champagne, they, they throw the, the party uh, for Tap into America. That, that actually the band are always on the periphery. They, they don't, they're very awkward. You know, and I often feel like, you know, um, yeah. and I'm sure you guys do it, I always feel like the child that's been invited to the adult's party. Yeah. And I, you know, and everyone goes, well, you, and the people are talking about figures and demographics and, uh, and I, I just want to play. And that might say a lot more about me and my issues, but I... That's what being creative is. Someone said there's a, there's a real tendency to, to feel like that very often you need to be sent out of the room or the grown-ups get on with this. And I, I, honestly, I've never felt any different in an award ceremony or any kind no. of meeting going, am I allowed to be here? I always felt like Nigel at the side of the room. 
in my little skeleton t-shirt. And, al- and also, I think um, a sense of a sense of sort of glee and childishness that your clan are with you, your tribe are yeah. with you. But also, you're made to feel fraudulent by the adults. And I think that you get a sense of that with the with the band. They're just, you know, while the money is discussed and while the glitz is happening around them, they just. You know, they just un- that's the only time you see them uncomfortable yeah. is in is in the Polymer Records kind of orbit. Yes, Bobby Blackman. Bobby, of course. The How are you? 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 Again, your great point, this is a big movie about don't stop the bus, we mustn't get off the bus, if we get off the bus we are dead, or we have to grow up. But also if you get <laughs> off the bus... It, it, it's simply telling everybody that you, yeah. if you stop loving yeah. it, you shouldn't, you know, that then, well, you then you were never really tru- truly a you musician said, or You said it's you know, an uncynical film, and weirdly, it's about one of the most cynical forms of ever, which is sort of packaged rebellion, what heavy metal is at its worst, which is just packaged outrage and things. They're not cynical. Weirdly, they should be. But what's great, it's an uncynical film about some uncynical people doing something they love. But also, there's, there's nothing in it about fame either. If you, look, if you really unpick it, they, they don't talk about they want to be famous, they want to... They get annoyed that things are cancelled, but that's because they want to play the music. Yeah. They want to be on... That's all they want. They want to all be together, all doing the classics. Every decision that has been made in the edit or the writing or the casting or the, the, is about making you feel good about these people. And it, that's very rare because a lot of comedy, there's, there's a cheap route to a quick gag very often in, in, in sort of saying someone is venal or someone is selfish. or You're always looking for people's flaws to make jokes about. And these are four, uh, the band's bigger than that, five, five very flawed people. And oddly, you still love them. And that's an incredible achievement, I think. Because, there's, because the, the heart, there's sweetness and love. And I know that up until relatively recently hasn't been fashionable. Yeah. But in my viewing choices, it's all it's it's paramount. Even in the darkest, you know, if you look at something like Breaking Bad, which is, mm. you know, it's sort of it's it's Faust, isn't it? It's it's, yeah. it's you make a pact with the devil. But you know, even in the final awful dying embers of that, there is there is the sadness of it is that these two people hope and friendship. Yeah, they they oh. loved each other, and it was but but yeah, and the same with Tap. It's it, it's it's a story about you know. Uh, being a kid and getting the joyful opportunity to still be around your best mate doing the thing you love. I think you're making an argument for this being the greatest rom-com of all time. <laughs> Do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that, you know, and, and, and it's... There aren't yeah. enough good ones. Let's bung this in that pile. But it's, but when no, Harry f- met Sally, this, it happened one night. But how great that a film, the most, the most macho thing you could think of, which is, you know, guys with guitars, you know, sort of sticking their tongues out in singlets and tight sort of lycra, <laughs> sort of, who love each other who really, truly love each other. And when they sit in that cafe and they're trying to remember the old songs, mm. oh, the The biggest the jeopardy is don't take my friend away. Yeah. And the moment you pump your yeah. fist in the air is when the friends get back together again. Because on your, because on your, you need those friends. They, they're context. They are history. They are everything. And if you lose that, you're just another person in another shit hotel playing a pentatonic scale. We've all been there, you know. It's 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 the wraparound. It's the and that's what that's why it speaks so much to me because you know uh, whatever you think of what any of us do, I know that I'm blessed to work with somebody I, somebody I truly love. And if that all disappeared tomorrow, we'd never stop. By the way, we'd just be doing it to smaller rooms or empty rooms, but we'd never stop in a basement somewhere yeah, on your but, own. But, the glue of those experiences, of the millions of gigs, of the millions of failures, actually, and the things that we did that went wrong, and the you know the the near death experiences, and the, all those sorts of things. Buckets they, of piss. Yeah, the bucket, all of it, the good and the bad, and that's why I love this film because it's it's much more complex than an hour and twenty three minutes of jokes. I cannot think of a better place to end. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for bringing Spinal Tap, Sue Perkins. Thank you.